This is the Studio Alchemy Podcast, episode 98, How to Speak to the Muse. Our quote of the day was said by Khalil Gibran, give me an ear and I will give you a voice. Hello, everyone. The purpose of this podcast is to explore creative ways to transform our lives using visualization, manifestation, art making, and self-help techniques. Alchemy was the ancient study of changing materials from one thing into another, and we all do this every day. Every choice you make is transforming our world. On this podcast, we explore ways we can change both our physical and spiritual selves for the better. On this podcast, we hunt for the wise balance between accepting what is and taking empowered action. My name is Addie Hirschen. I am an artist. I sign my paintings with the name Vita. I teach online creativity classes and have written a few books, including The Alchemy of Painting, Developing Your Style and Purpose, and my new book that was recorded for Audible, Start Selling Your Art, A Guide to Starting a Professional Art Business. When this podcast first started, it was to share just stories about artists and was called The Alchemy of Art Podcast. And now we are the Studio Alchemy Podcast, and I've expanded our topics of discussion to include ways that everyone can harness their creative energy, no matter what type of art form they do. So to find out more about my projects, classes, and sign up for my art newsletter, I invite you to go to my website, which is studioalchemy.art. And now for our topic of the day, how to speak to the muse, how to find your muse. So to start this off, I will share with you that um, back in 2019, I fell in love with my boyfriend, Brad. So uh, his name is Brad Severance, and uh, we lived together. We have three cats. Um, but when we first fell in love, uh, there was a flurry, a flurry of artistic creativity that happened. Brad is a poet and a photographer, and he really focused a lot on poetry at that time. So he wrote many, many poems for me, and I created many, many paintings for him. Um, and to give you an example, let me read to you one of my favorite poems that he wrote. All the world is in your eye that bends like a reed, the wind, your brush, the canvas, seed. With what strokes the world is made, the downy moon, the sun inlaid, and fields of lemon-freckled jade. And though I'm fearless and dance among the dying days, in you I'm seen, your pastels ringed, such joy and solace for my heart. So I feel that this poem is about how when you are in love with someone, it feels so wonderful to be seen by them. Um, you, you have the lines, all the world is in your eye and in you I'm seen. I just feel that it's about how gratifying it can be to be recognized for who you are and accepted for who you are. And if you guys are curious to you know, hear more about our poetry and painting time together, uh, 
then you could go to episode 67 and listen to us rift about, about another poem and masks. Um, also, we did in the early 2020s, it was January of 2020, a painting and poetry project where uh, Brad wrote a poem a day and I did a painting a day. And you can find that on his blog at uh, bradseverance.com. So I bring this up because I feel that Brad was my muse during that time. And, you know, I became his muse, so we were mutual muses. And I'll talk more about that later. But um, I feel that an important part of the muse relationship is being seen by the other person. It's about sharing all that you think and feel and hope uh, and desire for that other person that you are in relationship with. So I've had many muses over the years. What is a muse? <laughs> Let, let's, let's back up and, ex and like define it. Um, so a, a muse is a character, it's a person that is inspiring you to create something, like a piece of artwork. Um, Webster's Dictionary describes a muse as a source of inspiration, coming from the Greek word musa. And also the word museum comes from that, um, which translates as the house of the muses. The muses in ancient Greek mythology were a set of women that were first written about in Hesiod's Theogony, and that the Theogony was written like almost 3,000 years ago. It's very, very old. But in it, he describes all the different Greek gods and goddesses, including the nine muses. So the, these muses were women that were born the second Pegasus, the winged horse came down to a stream and he, his hooves touched the water. And from where his hooves touched the water, these nine women were born. And they were uh, Calliope, who was the muse of poetry, Cleo, the muse of history, Erato, the muse of love poetry and lyric art, Eutrope, the muse of music, especially the flute, <laughs> and Melopini, the muse of tragedy, Polymenia, the muse of hymns, Terpiscore, the muse of dance, Talia, the muse of comedy, and Urania, the muse of astronomy. So once these nine muses were born, in, according to Greek mythology, they went to live on Mount Olympus. And from Mount Olympus, the heavenly realms, they would come up with ideas. And then people down on earth would hear those ideas and it would inspire them to create you know, the poetry and the music and the dance and the comedy and all of, of those things that each of the muses specialized in, okay? But, you know, a muse today, when I say someone is my muse, it's like 
they inspired the artwork and the creation of the artwork. Another great example of a muse from art history is Dante's Inferno. So Dante wrote the set of three books um, that are about a character who goes from the pits of hell all the way up to the top of heaven. And when he gets to the heavenly realms, there's a woman named Beatrice who helps guide him through the levels to get up to heaven. And Dante himself had met a woman named Beatrice and he fell in love with her. He only briefly met her twice, apparently, according to the record, but uh, he, he just fell head over heels in love with her. And then she ends up getting married and then she died at like age 20 or something like that. So after she died, Dante wrote the Inferno and in it, he made this character of Beatrice inspired by this real life woman. So Beatrice was very much inspiring his work. But, um, you know, when, when someone is my muse for a piece um, and their energy is inspiring the creation of it, I personally wouldn't want for the muse to be dead, somebody who's, de somebody who's dead, um, because I'm usually speaking to them through the piece. I want for them to see it. Like I fell in love with Brad and I wanted him to see the pieces. I wanted him to understand what I was trying to say to him through them. Okay. Um, you could put a lot of feeling and emotion into a piece. I am communicating to the muse through my medium. This goes back to that artist being a language thing. But when you have a muse, it isn't just like, oh, I'm talking to everybody. Like, I'm just trying to communicate. I am having a feeling here, and I want for anybody who will listen to hear it. When I am talking to my muse, I am yearning for them to understand me. Um, but an amazing thing I think happens, that even if I create a piece for my one muse, my one special person that is inspiring me for that piece, other people will see it and it'll resonate with them too. And, and I feel more so than when a piece isn't inspired by anybody. So it's like um, the best pieces. Like I think back on like ones that I just really feel I put a lot of passion and a lot of energy into they're almost always ones where I was inspired by my love for someone. Um, I am speaking to that one person. And they can hopefully feel the passion behind it. I will say, you know, I, Brad was my muse in 2019 for sure, right? But I've had many muses. And I, many people who basically I've, I've loved and cared about and wanted to communicate with. And sometimes I'll create a piece and it's, it's like I'm brought back to the energy of that former love and I can use that creative energy to speak to them. So um, I do want to make the point that a lot of people We'll talk about muses. Um, you know, if you go online and you you read up on 
muses. Um, and there's a lot of like feminist writing where they're saying, oh, it's so terrible when a guy makes a muse of a woman and he does these paintings of her and she's just an object in the piece. And, and people can get really upset about that. And I do agree that there's like some weird objectification that can happen when you do portraits of people and, you know, you're maybe even, you know, sexually inspired by them. But, you know, I'm a woman and I will create pieces that are inspired by my love for someone, but it doesn't, it doesn't even have to have their image in it. It can have symbolic pieces that are reminding me of them. It can be conveying a message or just an emotion that reminds me of them through color and form. So I do want to just distinguish when I'm talking about a muse that I'm not talking about just looking at someone and thinking they are beautiful I am going to recreate them on the canvas because they are beautiful, but they are just an object. When we love somebody enough to like pull the energy of what we feel for them and into muse form, <laughs> it's not just the way they look. They are more than their body. They're their energy, their power, that, or even just that like, comfort that you feel when you're with them. Um, and, and certainly, I mean, there's many people out there on this planet who I think are perhaps beautiful in form, but I wouldn't feel comfortable opening up to them, right? So I wouldn't feel inspired to make them my muse. And I might go to an art class and we might paint a nude figure and, and that's great. Uh, but that's not a muse for me. So I just wanted to clarify that. Ruth Millington, who's an art historian, wrote a book that I'm in the middle of reading right now. It's called Muse, Uncovering the Hidden Figures Behind Art History's Masterpieces. And she says, you muses are not always models. And then she goes on to discuss a number of mutual muses uh, what she means by mutual muses are artists who are inspiring each other to create artwork. So, um, you know, a great example of that are the uh, performance artists uh, Marina Abramovic and Ule. So, Abramovic and Ule were performance artists together in the 70s and 80s, and they did all these. Uh, almost painful pieces where, you know, they would sit for long periods of time in certain poses. And in one very famous one, he takes an, an arrow and is pointing it at her heart for four minutes. And then they like projected the sound of their heartbeats and how nervous they were because if he'd have accidentally snapped the bow, she would have died. <laughs> so, um, so they did these just real high drama performance art pieces. And then they famously went to the Great Wall of China in uh, like what, 1988 or something like that. And then they, they each started at one end of it. And the idea had been that they would meet in the middle and then they would get married. But they didn't. They met in the middle and said goodbye. 
and broke up. <laughs> so um, their breakup is this like famous performance <laughs> art piece. Um, but then uh, fast forward another 22 years and Abramovic was performing at the MoMA in New York City and she was doing this piece where she sat and then she had audience members come and sit and look into her eyes for any length of time. It could just be 20, 30 seconds. It could be several minutes, whatever. But people would sit down and just visually look at her eye to eye. And on the opening night, her old boyfriend, Ule, came, sat down in front of her, and she cried. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and you can watch the video on YouTube. It's really super moving. But, you know, this is just a perfect example of a mutual muse. So they worked together as a team on so many different performance art pieces. Um, and so, you know, I invite you to ask yourself, have you ever had a muse? You know, has there ever been anyone who you're your love for them, your passion for them inspired you to create something. And it could even just have been like you fell in love and so you wanted to make them a lot of meals. <laughs> you started cooking and you, when you created those dishes, you infused them with the energy of your love for this person. And perhaps you wanted to impress them a little bit. And when they came over and you put that plate in front of them, you wanted to communicate how much you cared about them, right? That's the power of a muse. And it, this reminds me too of a funny moment that happened when I was 16. Um, I had not figured out what kind of artwork I wanted to do at that time. 16, was pretty pretty young and green, and I was sitting in my boyfriend's bedroom in a corner on a chair, and he was a musician, and he was playing with several of his friends, um, and I had a notebook with me, and I, I, I got it out, and I was sort of like feverishly writing like some super bad poetry, maybe doodling a little bit, and I had this frustrated feeling. I felt like I wanted to participate and play music with them. I felt inspired by him, my boyfriend, and I wanted to be participating with him on an equal level. Um, it, so, so I felt that like push of the muse, like, okay, I, I'm, I'm, I, the drive to create and do something and, and to stand up and participate, I wanted to be in it. I wanted to have the notes spilling out of me. But all I could do at that point, because I hadn't found my voice yet, I hadn't found my instruments, yet. I say instruments because I play the violin for contra dances. I paint. I write. 
you know, I, I have all these different ways of expressing myself now. But then I didn't have it. I didn't have my instrument. So I just found it frustrating to sit in the corner and want to participate, to want to express all I was thinking and feeling at that time. But I couldn't. <laughs> and I felt like I was like a stupid cheerleader. <laughs> you know, like, like a, a cheerleader, what do they do? They stand on the sidelines. They're not part of the game. And they're going, rah, 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 yeah, 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 you go, you go, I'll suck your cock later, rah, rah, rah. <laughs> but they're not in the middle of it. And I decided at that moment, years ago, that I wanted to be in the middle of it. I wanted to figure out how I could express myself artistically, but I just didn't know how at that point. So back to the muse and the idea of the muse, it strikes me that one way that you could look at the things that we create when we create something for a muse is, is the gift-giving category of the five love languages. So I'm sure most of you have heard of the five love languages. It's a pretty famous self-help book. But in it, they talk about this, there's these five ways in which you might communicate to your partner. And you might have... Um, a very different way of communicating than your partner does. And so you might talk past each other, right? So um, the five love languages are gift giving, words of affirmation, physical touch, acts of service, and quality time. Any of these can be used as ways of expressing how you love somebody. But certainly I think giving of gifts, acts of service, are ways specifically that are more creative in a way that we can use them for artistic expression. And ultimately you wanna be, what, like working together in relationship um, with your muse. It, it is a collaboration. It is um, a love language that, that Hopefully there's like an equal give and take working together. So um, Jeanette Diaz wrote, any kind of healing has to take place in collaboration with other people. And I do think ultimately, you know, when we are creating things and we are, we are working with the muse, that art is made for another in a collaboration that can break barriers, a collaboration that can tear down the walls that separate us. Um, when we don't communicate, when we don't collaborate, we don't use what we make as a form of communication, silence ends up dividing us. That silence I talked about a few episodes ago. When you take on a muse, you can connect with them mind to mind. That is my hope that when I, you know, when Brad and I wrote all this stuff together and, and there was this like meeting of minds, we were equals. 
And God, it felt good. It was like years of like hunting for an equal. And I finally found it. Um, Junot Diaz also wrote that she sought a friend of the mind, someone who didn't see her as a problem monster, someone who didn't want to erase her, someone who considered her central and important. Um, and that's what I wanted, right? Like I wanted to find a friend of the mind. That's what amuses is a friend of the mind. Someone who doesn't see me as a problem monster, who doesn't want to erase me, who thinks of me as central and important. Um, you know, I was talking to one ex-partner once and I told him about the, a book idea that I had. And I, I'm pretty sure this was the idea for my first book, um, which is called The Alchemy of Art Stories for the Classroom. Um, which, by the way, has the story of the muses in it. So it's a book of, of folk tales. Um, but I told him about the book idea, and he said, and I quote, why would anyone want to read what you wrote? <laughs> I mean, and I was floored. I mean... What was he saying when he said, why would anyone want to read what you wrote? He was saying, I don't really care about what you have to say. I don't think you have anything to say that's interesting. Um, I don't think anybody else is ever going to want to hear what you have to say. Um, I mean, it, it was so disempowering. It was so, it was like a, a slap in the face. It made me realize that he was not a friend of the mind. He didn't care what I had to say. Um, and so <laughs> that ex is obviously not one of my muses. <laughs> you know? the, the muse has to be a good listener. The muse values you and wants to hear what you have to say. The muse is a friend of the mind. And back to that Khalil Gibran quote, give me an ear and I will give you a voice. I, th I believe, and I know this sounds a little cheesy, but everybody has important things to say. We all have this like swelling up of feeling where we want to participate in life. Like think of me at the corner of that room. Like I wanted to participate and play the music, but you've got to have someone who's listening to you in order for you to be able to find your voice. Um, and this, so I, yeah, I'm suddenly feeling like this is like, this episode is like a tribute to Bradley. Um, but like just to, to have found someone who actually wants to hear what I have to say is so, wonderful. Give me an ear and I will give you a voice. I feel, I mean, it took me years, but I found my voice. And it, my voice comes out in different ways with different instruments. 
but I've found it and I'm thankful for that. And I think it kind of goes back to what Junot Diaz said about any kind of healing has to take place in collaboration with other people. We need each other. We have to listen to each other if we're going to heal past any problems or just if we're going to celebrate fucking life together. <laughs> You've, you need each other. So what's my MIT? What's my main message for you for this podcast? I wrote, when we create for others, our work is infused with a powerful energy. An energy that is full of yearning, desire, and a need to connect. When we create for others, our passion infuses the work with emotion. And I titled this episode, How to Speak to the Muse. How do you want to speak to your muse? Well, first you've got to find one. And when you create for that person, you are speaking to them. You're balling up all of your passion, throwing it in the mix, and it becomes part of the story. In closing, this concludes the Studio Alchemy podcast. May these thoughts and stories comfort and heal your spirit. May you be filled with inspiration. May you be like the lotus flower and build your home in the muddy water. May you find your voice. <laughs>